0: Standard Issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's Better com slash standard. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass.
1: Standard issue for all women.
0: Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's Sunday Chops. Mickey here, and I am really very chuffed indeed to tell you that this week's guest is cartoonist Lily O'Farrell, who you probably know better as Bulgar Drawings, on the Instagram, on the TikTok, and making a noise on Twitter. I've been a big fan of Lily's accessible, fun, free, educational, feminist cartoons and animated essays for a few years now, and so was delighted to hear she was starting a podcast who doesn't love a podcast? Am I right, listeners of this podcast? And the result is no worries if not an accessible, fun, free, educational, and feminist look well, listen at how internet culture is affecting all of us, but women in particular. The first season has six episodes, with three available now as you're listening, if you're listening to us fresh on Sunday. And Lily's not mucking about. So far, she and her expert guests have looked at the alpha male myth and why it's horseshit talked about the insidious nature of diet culture and investigated how AI is negatively impacting women, but also looked at its positive possibilities. I hope you've got a bruter hand because Lily and I had a good long natter, which took in primatology, trolls, Andrew Tate, masturbation, empathy, airport security and actual witches, among many other things. If you like what we do here at Standard Issue, there are several ways you can support us and help us make more women championing content with champion women guests. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and chuck us a review on whatever platform you use. Share the joy slash screaming pillow community by telling a pal or family member. You can give us a follow on YouTube. Just Google Standard Issue YouTube channel to find us. And if in these testing times, you still have a couple of quid to spare you can become one of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash standard issue which means you get our podcasts ad free and a bit early lovely stuff and if you're already doing one or all of those things we thanks you hello i'm joined on the zoom by cartoonist and now fellow feminist podcaster with an attitude problem lily o'farrell lily hello hi thank you so much for having me Thanks so much for coming on and well done for having this sort of attitude problem that so, so, so many women can relate to. What's rattled your cage most recently?
1: Oh God, I mean I'm straight off the back of doing this podcast series and I think what is a real handover of it is all the research has made my algorithm something totally different I'm still hung up on alpha males yeah so every time i go on tiktok i'm still getting um videos of male podcasters talking about a woman's body count and that is what's rattling my cage is that you have to be virginal to be wifey material it's the kind of the kind of words that are flowing around in my head recently so that's Every day I wake up and I'm on my phone and I'm met by some awful alpha male. That's what's rattling my
0: cage. That's what gives me an attitude problem, you know. Yeah. A third is: Have you accidentally become like part of the Jordan Peterson, Andrew Tate fan club?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. Every time I go on YouTube, <laughs> it's like recommended for you. You know why you should eat raw meat for every meal because it will make your sperm count higher. And I'm like, I don't have sperm. I don't. Please stop this. Like. I... I did that episode three weeks ago. For some reason, it's the one thing that's really hanging on. I think that's a real insight into how the algorithm works. It's desperate to radicalise me. Absolutely.
0: We chatted to Laura Bates. It was a few years ago now when she wrote her brilliant but absolutely utterly depressing book, Men Who Hate Women, and she went undercover. And just the desire to radicalise boys and young men is so intense that those YouTube algorithms really play a part in it.
1: I love Laura Bates. I read that book because I used to get, slightly better now, but I used to get quite a lot of trolls and a lot of them were about 15, 16-year-old boys who were self-identified incels. So someone recommended me her book and I just devoured it. And I kind of did the same as her, where I joined lots of 4chan, Reddit and other forums, observed these men, and uh, eventually released a, I mean boys, not men, because a lot of the time they were teenage boys who were, suffering from mental health issues that weren't being supported and often in towns in the UK or the US that had been stripped of resources by the Conservative government Uh so things like youth support they weren't having often from families experiencing abuse or domestic violence or bereavement and they turned to this uh, identity this community because they feel so isolated so I, I kind of observed that and then I released this pamphlet this educational pamphlet about how to spot incel ideology early on and it just blew up and schools across the UK started using it in um, safeguarding trainings. And then, amazing. Yeah. And then I found out that Prevent, the government's counterterrorism program, started using it in their men's rights extremism safeguarding kind of pack that you can download from local councils. So that was wild. So, you know, the incels, it's that thing when you get a lot of hate online, it's trying to turn it into something positive. And I guess that was, in the end, a long arduous journey of turning something horrid into a positive outcome and really it was because I was bored in lockdown and I was getting messages from 15 year old boys in Utah saying like die in a fire you're the reason that men want to die (laughs) so I um, was like okay well let's let's see what's going on here then and then you
0: know three years later I'm doing a podcast about alpha males online we're going to get to your podcast in a moment but I wanted to talk about the fact that you're one of my Instagram favorites and have been for ages You've been publishing cartoons about the trials and tribulations of womanhood for the past... Is it five years now? Five years? Yeah, it's five years.
1: I started when I was living in Melbourne. I mean, I'd always drawn my whole life, but I wasn't, like, academically good at it, and I'm not trained. I nearly failed my art DCSE because I just wanted to draw funny characters, and they were like, no, you have to do a watercolour of a fruit bowl. (laughs) Like, it's all... You know how it is. So I just doodled weird creatures, and it it was always, like, men who looks tired, saying something offensive. That was always my <laughs> kind of Pete Davidson malnourished cartoons. And then I was working as a waitress in Melbourne and was just kind of at the end of my tether experiencing sexual harassment at work um, really badly. Hospitality is infamously one of the worst for sexual harassment at work. Mm. I was a comedy writer at the time doing stand-up and sketch writing, and I needed an outlet. I was bursting at the seams with rage. And I... Um, started doodling on the back of receipts during the quiet hours and then I would take pictures of what I'd drawn and upload it on Instagram and it just organically grew from there and then I got an iPad and it really took off being able to do these digital cartoons and I quit my job in 2020 and have been self-employed so it's three years being full-time cartoonist and writer and five years of drawing which is not that long when you think about it but I think that's really a testament to how much people want this sort of content out there and how quickly women and everyone really jumped on the drawings, messaged me saying, can you cover this? Can you draw this? This happened to me, you know, people wanted that community and a place to laugh at the horrible trials and tribulations.
0: So you're on there as Vulgar Drawings and it's accessible, fun, free, educational, feminist. Listeners, I am making the heart shape with my hands for Lily because, you know, I mean it. Thank you. Do you think because it's a cartoon, it's more easily absorbed by people? It's slightly less confronting?
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, the the phrase I always use is rolling a poo in glitter. <laughs> so I think, you know, it's quite daunting to see an article. Obviously, I would love that everyone did that. They saw a daunting article about, you know, sexual assault or, or myths around rape statistics, something like that. That's quite a complex, very triggering issue for some people. I think when you put that in a pink, colourful cartoon that's bright and funny and has lots of visual metaphors, so whether that's putting data into like pie charts and bar charts, there are some great people who do that already, like Mona Shalabi online, but I think it's really about understanding these big concepts in a small, bite-sized way, and I would hope that people don't take that as their only education of the subject, but more as a starting off Mm -hmm. point, so like i did a cartoon a while ago about the phrase blue balls right and that that's a perfect example of a small subject that you can do in a cartoon that becomes a bigger topic that people then think about so it was really because me and my friends were talking and we were like gone isn't it awful that when we were teenagers and we'd be like fooling around with a guy he'd say don't give me blue balls which is just like rape like that's what that is like that's
0: rape, right and sure. um
1: yeah so I drew it and it blew up because it was like a light bulb moment. And then it just leads to bigger conversations around language that coerces people into sex and also the kind of things that we normalize as teenagers growing up when we were, you know, watching porn and having sex. I also think there's an aspect of it that's very shareable. Mm-hmm. Yep. It grabs your attention straight away. You can share it with your friends. What I love the most is when I see people commenting and tagging their friends and saying, this is what we were talking about the other day. I love that because it really feels like I'm in the room with people and that I'm tapping into something that's bothering someone at the time. I do think there's a lot of snobbery around um, online education, like, you know, the term infographic. Yeah, it's almost a put-down, yeah. It's a put-down, and I think it's a little bit of, like, academic snobbery. It's like, you should be reading a book instead of looking at this infographic. And I think people forget that, like, A, people have to have jobs and, like, sleep and raise children. They can't all, like do a degree at Cambridge and also I think there's an element of people forget that this isn't someone's only education on the subject it's a catalyst it's piquing your interest it's giving you a bite-sized friendly and non-patronizing very colloquial start to a subject like sexual assault language and then from there you kind of enroll and you become an expert so I'm glad you think it's funny I hope it's accessible I did sociology at university and I really didn't enjoy it because i found it so old-fashioned and dry in terms of the methods we use it was just like read this book by this old man with a beard who died a hundred years ago and then write an essay on it and it's like sociology is such a fascinating subject because Uh it's the study of everything Uh so why not go out to the world now do it make a film make a magazine make a cartoon that's how it should have been done. But I think that's really inspired a lot of the cartoons too. It's like, how can I put this information
0: in a way that's exciting and new? And is it just another essay by an old dead man? <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I am absolutely not alone. You've got 322,000 followers and growing. And you go viral on the reg. Oh, I don't think I've ever said on the reg before. I or love the reg. I love it. <laughs> you do but, though, um... it's true. Do you know which of your posts have been most popular and had most engagement?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because there's like quantity and quality. Mm. So there are posts that do go viral, like you say, that get a ton of shares. And they get shared by big celebrities and that's often what leads to it. But then there are also posts that might have smaller reach in numbers, but what they do is they reach interesting people who then write articles about it and it, it kind of gets that journalistic reach. So for example, on a smaller scale, I did a cartoon about dating at Burnout. So it's been 10 years now since Tinder came out. And, you know, I was 18 when Tinder came out. So me and my friends have pretty much spent our entire 20s dating online. And we're now getting to the age of being like, God, this has really influenced culture. And I'm kind of over it. I'm done with it. This doesn't work for us. It's not serving us. It's a profitable business, not something that's going to help us. So I did a cartoon about that. And that, you know, had about 40,000 likes, which is only really 10% of my following but it led to stylists publishing an article about this cartoon and dating app burnout. It led to getting um, an email from these two people who were doing PhDs on how dating app has changed culture, asking to reference the cartoon. It led to another podcast I did. So it's really interesting about how the numbers might not be huge, but when they've reached the right people and it taps into something, it can lead to a bigger conversation. And then on the bigger level, it's the really shareable ones that tap into something that people haven't been able to put into words. So when um, Sarah Everard was killed, there was a trending hashtag on Twitter, which was not all men, which is obviously horrific for that to be the subject that's trending. And I um, <clears throat> had come across this great metaphor from an American feminist writer where she spoke about, you know, in America, they, have, they talk about ticks a lot because of Lyme disease. So it's a metaphor that doesn't work that well for the UK, but you can still, you know, it still works. She was saying, if I go out for a walk in long grass with my friends and I get bitten by ticks, I go, oh, okay, I should check that out, see if it has Lyme disease. I should go get checked. No one goes, uh, actually, not all ticks have Lyme disease. Like, you can't <laughs> assume that about all ticks. And I thought that was such a great way to pick out language. It's like, when I'm walking down the street and a man is following me, of course, of course, I hope he's not one of those men. Of course, I would like to assume that. But in order to be safe, I have to assume every man until proven otherwise. Yep. And so I did a cartoon about that. And that went totally crazy. And it actually what's funny is it got deleted by Instagram for hate speech against men. For fuck's
0: sake. Can, like you get a
1: little notification, a <laughs> pop up, and it was like it gives examples of hate hate speeches like swastikas,
0: that da that. And I'm like, Are you joking? You did compare them to ticks, Lily. Come yeah.
1: on. I mean, no. I know people were like, You're comparing men to insects. It's like, could you miss the point more? <laughs> but then people kicked up such a fuss that Instagram reinstated it twenty four hours later, which was a huge success. Yeah. yeah so so yeah, it's about the shareable, easy to understand kind of ones like that versus the big topic, kind of like mini visual essays, I guess, like the dating app burnout one. So really, I like to mix. I try not to like get corrupted by the algorithm and just do stuff that will do well all the time, get 100k likes or whatever. I try and do stuff that I'm I, I'm excited by and stuff that people message me to say, It's like someone said to me about the dating app one. They said, it's like you're in the room with me and my friends when we're talking. And that's the goal. Like that's the dream to be able to do that, to make people feel better about that kind of thing, to feel less alone and to feel like they're not going mad, which I think a lot of women do feel like that.
0: And we're told we're going mad on (laughs) on the reg. I'm going to use it again on the reg. (laughs) It's my new catchphrase. I was going to ask, do you still get a lot of shit from men? But you mentioned at the top that it's less than it used to be. But I'm assuming when they do go big, they do go viral. You know, if Instagram's getting involved, that's probably when you get the pylons again, right?
1: Yes. I mean, I don't actually know. I say that I get less, but I wonder if it's just because I'm more used to it. And I think that's probably Mm. the case. I've started putting more cartoons on TikTok. And that's really interesting because there's a lot more hate there, which is slightly worrying because the audience is younger. So I started posting on Instagram when I was like 22, maybe, my cartoons. So my audience has grown with me, which is really sweet. So it started off being women, mostly women, between 18 and 25, and now it's women who are 25 to 35 is the biggest majority. And on TikTok, my following is a lot of teenage girls, which I love. There's also a lot of teenage boys. So it's really horrible trolling stuff that's just like, for the sake of it being aggressive, being hostile, using hateful language, violent language, just to kind of rile us up. On Instagram, you know, it's... (laughs) I used to get that. I used to get stupid stuff that's just trying to, you know, someone asking me, saying you're a feminist because you're fat. Like, this is why you hate men. You look like that. No wonder. Blah, blah, blah.
0: Oh, don't wait, Lily. Soon you'll you'll be a feminist because you're old and then you can be yeah. a feminist. You know, we, it never stops. <laughs> it never stops. It's got to be because of how you look. Right? Because that's your only yeah. value
1: in this world as a woman. Of course. Yeah, but as my trolls have aged on Instagram, what's funny is their trolling has become more mature, which is actually slightly more annoying. So I just get DMs from men being like, can we debate this? And I'm like, no, I don't want to debate you. I want to live my life. I'm not going to spend hours of my life debating you on the concept of age of consent. I know what you're going to say. And you know what? The devil doesn't need you to be his advocate. He's fine. He's a feminist. So leave him alone. Um, (laughs) I just hate when anyone says that hey, hate devil's advocate. It's like, do you really need to be doing that? Like, maybe you'd be better off. Is that, the, is that the fight you want to be fighting in this day and age? Really? Yeah, it
0: feels like you're not being devil's advocate. You're just saying what you think but feel is probably wrong. Exactly. And you say it's for the sake of the debate, but it's like really you're hiding behind this like
1: intellectual cosplaying. I do get a lot of hate. I think also I've got more used to it because I've spent some time researching the ideologies and working in like stuff to do with this it's made me I wouldn't say I mean empathy I guess empathy I've empathized with them a little bit it's more about understanding the root causes and you know no one wakes up one day and says I'm going to be radicalized today no one wakes up and says, I'm going to become an anti-vaxxer and no one that's not their goal I'm going to become an incel or men's rights activist I'm going to become red-pilled if there's something that pushes you into it and most of the time it's structures in society that Uh, attack the people that are the most disadvantaged and the disadvantaged vulnerable people are the ones that fall into radicalization so understanding that has helped me deal with it because it's not about me and someone calling me fat it's about this person who hasn't been helped and I think that kind of kindness
0: uh, actually makes things easier for me yeah it's it's sort of self-protection as well as kindness yeah Exactly. The flip side is as you mentioned earlier that you get a lot of engagement from women saying thank you. From I imagine men saying thank you, you've made me think about this in a different way as well. It's quite quite a lot of responsibility though. Did you expect that when you started? No.
1: It was a, it was a real happy accident. Like I did these cartoons for me. It was a way to burn off steam i was writing for a comedy group and all of my cartoons were about sexism and they were like look we love this but like this isn't a feminist comedy group like we we want to keep it varied so i had all these extra ideas and i just needed a place to put them i was desperate so really that's how it started off and so i meet a lot of i like mentor for arts emergency which is about young people who want to get into the arts who don't come from you know like private schools basically which is where a lot of people in the creative industry come from And I get a lot of questions about, like, how can I get loads of followers online? The funny thing is, is that I think, honestly, authenticity and honesty is what people really like. And if you, you know, I didn't set out to get loads of followers. I set out to do something authentic and honest and vulnerable and cathartic. And that's what people responded to. So that's the kind of advice I give them often. But, yeah, it is a huge amount of responsibility. I am more used to it now. I used to kind of get heart palpitations every time I posted And it is very easy to focus on the hate when actually it's a very loud minority. It's like any platform, like Twitter's a big example of that. Really, it's 90% love for women and it's 10% hate for mostly men. And it's it's easy to focus on the hate. But the community of people are amazing. I honestly, it sounds lame. I sound like Taylor Swift, but like I consider them my friends. Like I really, I truly just like, they. it's like a community we've grown up with together. I've been doing it for five years now. I message loads to them all the time. And it's so fun when someone messages me and it's like, I've been here since you had 600 followers and it's been so cool to watch your journey and I feel so proud of you because i never met you. And I love that. So, yeah, it's a big responsibility, but I kind of think, I always used to think this, like going into any job interview or anything where I had a Syndrome, I'd be like, someone's got to do it, so it might as well be me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Someone's got to do it. If I don't do it, a man might do it and he'll do it not as good. So... Mm-hmm. Someone's going to do it. And I think it helps that I was born with a missing piece of my brain, which is that I don't really feel shame or embarrassment. Oh my God, I want that. I want that so much. <laughs> I wish that I did sometimes, because sometimes my mum is like, Lily, you can't talk about masturbation to, you know, your great aunt at her, someone's funeral. It's like, oh yeah, of course.
0: Sorry. The thing is, you can, is whether you should, I guess, you know, it's yes. the Jeff Goldblum yeah, argument. That's yeah.
1: true. Yeah. I have a podcast episode coming out next week all about uh, the, the orgasm gap. And in it, I talk very much in detail about how it took me five years to have an orgasm when I started having sex. And there's not a single part of me that's like, oh, my grandma, my mom, my old English teacher are going to listen to that. Like, I can see that it's funny, but doesn't, I, there's, there's like something missing. I, I didn't feel that <laughs> feeling. I'm just like, oh, yeah. It's a I gift. It is. This sure. is a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift, but people around me find it very embarrassing, I think.
0: Because they don't have your gift. If only they had We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senua Saga. Hellblade 2.
1: Play it now with Game Pass.
0: Okay, let's talk about the podcast. It's fierce, it's fresh. Your new podcast, No Worries If Not. Meticulously researched look at how internet culture is affecting all of us, but women in particular. How did it come about and why do you think it is needed? I've always wanted
1: to do something long form. The cartoons are great, but with Instagram, obviously, you're capped at 10 images. So it's really hard to do something long form. I've always wanted to do that. And uh, I love podcasts. It's my main source of any kind of education. And obviously, I'm drawing all day, so I listen to them all the time. And I had always got a lot of emails from production companies being like, we thought that you could do a podcast where you and like Jamila Jamil sit down in front of a pink fluffy cushion and talk about all things feminism and like I, I love that but there was never any like thought put into that they were like oh look there's a feminist creator let's throw some money at it and talk about I don't know something and I always want to do something a bit more I guess academic like a bit more heavily scripted heavily researched with, with expert structured so I approached a few production companies and I had the opportunity to do it with BBC which was cool but you know how the BBC are quote-unquote balanced now, which in my words is like media speak for right-wing. So I gave them a bunch of episode examples and that included talking about Amber Heard and Johnny Depp and also talking about trans-exclusionary people on Twitter. And they were like, mm, maybe you could just talk about like the pressure to wear makeup as a woman. And it's like, no.
0: Great, no, no one's ever covered that, BBC. Brilliant, thank you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So... I found this great production company who was small and who were led by women, Curly Media, and they just essentially backed the whole thing and let me do whatever I wanted, and they supported it. They were amazing. And I got to kind of do a crash course in podcasting. I was involved in every part. There's like every episode has been scripted five times, everything from the mixing to the editing to composing the Steam music I've been involved with. So it's been so fun. And the reason why I felt it was needed was because... I am obviously, like I say in the introduction, extremely online. I have been forever. I've always been fascinated by internet culture, and I think it's incredibly overlooked and underestimated the impact it has on mm. politics and culture. And a big turning point, I think, for a lot of people was the riots at Capitol Hill during COVID when the QAnon and election denial Trump people, uh, quote unquote, protested. I think rioted is
0: the better word. I'm, I'm going to agree with you on that one. Yes. <laughs>
1: Because that was such an internet born phenomenon. And I think I just, I was living with my parents at the time and I remember watching them go, oh, this is a real thing. Like the internet is actually having, it's leaking out into the real world. And I think a lot of publications, like main big publications like, you know, the BBC, the Guardian, the Telegraph, whatever, they are, can be sometimes quite stuck in the old days. And I think they aren't always very good at, looking at internet culture and also giving it the critical respect it deserves because they there's a snobbery but it's a really important part of culture and politics and as you know young people grow up and then take those roles that are heading up the BBC and the Guardian and the Telegraph those people will be making decisions and they have would have spent their teenagers online like me. We used to say that there's online and offline but I truly think
0: that you know Gen Z and younger it's the same it's totally the same. The acronym irl in real life which gets used and it's like oh no this is this is part of real life exactly and we ignore that at our peril i think 100 percent perils that you have done deep dives into right so the topic <laughs> so far there are only three episodes available before i chatted to lily listeners you should definitely have a listen because i have learned about uh the debunking of the alpha male you've talked about almond mums i've got to say i'm with kerry jones i'm not liking that term your expert i think she was amazing on it and you've investigated how AI is negatively affecting women. But, you know, also with the BBC balance, you've looked at the positives <laughs> too. <laughs> I wondered what else is to come just for the listeners, because rumour has it you talked to an actual witch and I'm very excited.
1: I'm so excited for episode six. Those are the first three. Thank you so much for, for you know, listening and also being so heavily researched. like even I sometimes forget the names of the people in it. So the fact <laughs> that you're whiffing them out is very impressive. Yeah, so there's a episode one, two and three. And then episode four, which comes out on Tuesday, is about the orgasm gap and learning about sex online, which I'm really excited about. So we spoke to uh, Dr. Karen Gurney, who wrote the book, Mind the Gap. And there's a crazy statistic, but men and women, this has been studied, when, mas- when they're masturbating, they can achieve an orgasm in two minutes, 95% of the time. But when I go to casual sex and men and women are having casual sex together, for men, it stays around 85%. And for women, it drops down to 8%. Fucking so, hell. <laughs> so we're we're really in the episode. We speak to a few sex workers online and sex educators online who are great. And we look at what it's been like for millennials, Gen Z, growing up, learning about sex online because our sex education at school was so poor. So learning about sex from porn, learning about sex from like The Notebook and Skins and stuff. We speak to an amazing organization called Split Bananas who go into schools to give them modern and inclusionary sex education. We spoke to an amazing person who went on um, Talk TV to argue with Jeremy Kyle about uh, teaching porn education in school and he's like you're trying to teach our kids to choke each other and she's like okay no we're not doing that. So it's a great episode I talk about my you know how I Started having sex at 18 and didn't have an orgasm till i was 23 purely because all the education i'd had was how to please a man mm-hmm. by watching porn after that we have episode five which is a really interesting one which is about neurodiversity online and the trend in self-diagnosing and that's a really interesting one because i went into it with one opinion and i came out with a totally different one after learning more about it and i won't say what but it really focuses on women and autism and adhd and also black women and what it's like trying to get a diagnosis uh-huh. and then episode six it is spirituality online and it's like renaissance of spirituality so tarot cards crystals and horoscopes it focuses on on tiktok mostly and i loved making this episode we had about 12 guests that we had to cut down but <laughs> i spoke to drew barrymore's astrologer i spoke to tarot card readers online and then a witch on etsy so this is a really fascinating thing but it's actually illegal but they're still doing it and um, sellers on etsy are still doing it despite etsy and ebay's rules but you can buy spells on etsy for about a fiver that are like hair growth weight loss wish death upon someone you know get your ex to love you get your ex to break up with his new girlfriend and i messaged about a hundred witches obviously most of them said no because all they're doing is illegal and then one said she'd speak to me and we spoke for an hour and I was like, it was the craziest but most fascinating interview I've ever done. She told me about the three different times that she was possessed. She told me (laughs) just, you know, and it was quite tense because I really did ask her, I was like, do you think you're exploiting people? And that's something that you will hear in the podcast. They won't say much more. Those are the six episodes. Obviously, fingers crossed there will be a series two because you never really run out of content about internet culture and women. And series two will be hopefully where I cover those things mentioned that the BBC hated.
0: The joy of what you just talked about as well really comes across in the podcast. She said the phrase, I went in with one opinion and came out with another. So you're the host and you clearly do know your stuff and you've clearly done your research, but you are joined by expert guests in every episode. And so it's really nice that you're learning along with the listener. I wondered what has blown your mind? God, that's such a great question.
1: And I'm really glad that you think that. I think with everything, I learned this from doing my cartoons, but also with the podcasts is that always start out with empathy. You start at a place of generosity because you end up creating better work because of it if you're listening to people and having your mind changed. I think like mm-hmm. you, I went into the Altman Mum episode where me and my friends would throw around this term all the time and kind of laugh at them and mock them. And actually speaking to experts like Carrie Jones and also my mum, understanding her more, really made me see that it's a hellish cycle that by blaming women, you're just perpetuating it and making it worse. So I think something that blew blew my mind slightly was when Kerry in the Almond episode talked about the term swag, which was um, skinny, white, affluent girl. So I had always been like, oh, she's a white girl who went to private school. Like obviously she's, you know, she's more likely to have an eating disorder. It's a total myth. And like Kerry said, you know, actually only 5% of people with eating disorders are underweight because it's a mental disorder. It's a mental illness. It's not necessarily, it's misconstrued as a physical one often. So it's not about how you look. And by assuming that it's only swags, you are actively misdiagnosing black women or someone else. As Kerry says, black women is like one of the highest increasing in binge eating and bulimia um, statistics. So that really blew my mind. So did the orgasm gap, but it kind of blew my mind less because I kind of wasn't surprised. Yeah, yeah. But I think the swag one has something that's really stuck with me. Yeah, and I don't want to give too... I mean, the AI one that's just come out, episode three, was amazing too. I love speaking to those women. And actually what blew my mind was speaking to Ayadeli, who is a developer in AI. She was talking about how when she goes through a body airport scanner, so, you know, at the airport when you have to kind of stand like a starfish to get your body scanned. She often gets pulled aside because she's black and these body scanners are built by white men and it often mistakes black women's hair or black people's hair as metallic, as having having metal in it because it's not trained. And it's like, what? So exposing those kind of data biases, the little everyday things, those are the kind of things that really just like shook me to the core.
0: That was such a great example of intersectionality as well because she goes on to say, not only does that bullshit happen, but then, quite often, because she's a woman, so she needs to be checked by a female officer, there's an extra weight at the airport because they don't have enough of those. It's intersectional
1: feminism laid out. It's
0: here's when you suffer for being black, and here's
1: where you suffer for being a woman. You know, it's literally like a blueprint.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know we're all about the women, but can we host a little party for Franz de Wall, please? Because I fucking oh my God. loved him.
1: <laughs> I love that man. I think he is. A great example in episode one is a great example of how feminism isn't exclusive to women. In that episode, it's three male guests and one woman we're joined by, and they're all amazing and doing so much to support the cause. Um, So there's Richie, who I love, and uh, Lewis. But yeah, Franz is a real hero. He lives in Atlanta, but I sent him a message being like, if you're ever in London and want to have a coffee, I love you. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Real (laughs) girlie. And he's just, he was just the coolest, chillest guy. Um, And he's just like incredibly bemused about why this is happening. And I I gave him, obviously when I interviewed him, I gave him context. I was like, this is, you know, this woman, Ruby, reached out to me online and her boyfriend started identifying as an alpha male and practicing semen retention and misogynistic behavior. And he was just like, oh yeah, yeah, heard about that.
0: He's a primatologist, it's worth pointing out for the listeners.
1: He's a world-renowned primatologist possibly even the most famous primatologist. He's done TED Talks, and he has these hugely popular books. They're incredible, and I think he's so popular because his work is really accessible for people outside of primatology. So the two big ones that people know him for are Different, which is about what, what apes can teach us about gender, and then Chimpanzee Politics, which is about the like political structures of groups of chimpanzees. <laughs> um, but what's really interesting about him So, you know, people might study him in politics and anthropology and sociology, as well as climatology. He wrote that book, Chimpanzee Politics, in the 80s, and um, it was his big bestseller. And in the 90s, it was hijacked by Republican politicians. So Newt Gingrich, which was a a Republican politician, Speaker of the House, loved the book. And sadly for Franz, who was obviously not that politically uh, leaning to the right,
0: I don't know that there's a name that encapsulates more a man, a horrible man, than Newt Gingrich. It really just sums him up.
1: He's like a Harry Potter villain. Isn't he? He became, honestly, utterly obsessed. And he is the perfect example of this concept that Franz taught me called naturalistic fallacy. So... What that is, is when you use the natural world, the animal kingdom to excuse your own moral behavior. So Mm -hmm. an example I've come across with men is they'll be like, well, men are attracted to 15 year old girls because in the natural kingdom, that's when they're most fertile. That's a myth. That's a lie. Or I met someone once who said I had an argument with him in a a pub. He said men wolf whistle because it's our evolutionary instinct to make like a primal grunt, like a noise when we see someone we're attracted to. Again, bullshit, because you can't pick and choose evolution because if that was the case if we were all that influenced by chimpanzees i would be shitting in the street he taught me about that and newt gingrich famously uses this a lot in his politics so he says you know the lion hunts gets for food and the and the the lioness stays at home and cares for the children and that's how... absolutely the opposite is it the other there? And that's how society should be. But the feminists don't like it when I say that. So the feminists don't like it when I make shit up. No, no, we <laughs> don't. <laughs> I know. So Andrew Tate has now adopted a similar thing of this kind of like revert back to the alpha because that's what the men are meant to do. That's what primates are meant to do. And it, it's a great representation of this whole bigger internet boom in alpha podcasts. So France was just great uh, in giving that context and also giving real positive stories of how Primates are incredibly progressives and they have, you know, gender non-conforming people, are primates in their society. Was she and called Dorothy they...
0: that he Donna. talks to? Donna. Donna. Yeah.
1: So he said that he observed her. She was born female and she only wanted to hang out with the men. She started to act like a male bonobo and then actually grew to look like one. So it started to develop physically in the way that male bonobos would, which is fascinating and Fran said that no one in that bonobo society batted an eyelid. It was like, Don is a guy. That's fine. He said that they are far less intolerant than we are as humans. And that really shows that whilst we are evolved in some ways, in others, we're not. And we can learn a lot from bonobos and chimpanzees. So he was fab. And he's also just very funny. He's a real feminist, obviously, because he's he studies bonobos, which is a matriarchal society of bisexual women who run the world bisexual women bonobos and he was saying how when he moved to america from um so he's dutch he moved to america and he was like everyone's so weird here about masculinity and gender and it's bizarre how insecure and territorial men are about this and he said he is a you know he's he's an academic who lectures on this and he bought this new satchel this new book bag that was burgundy kind of like dark red colored and he said he had several comments from male colleagues being like, that's not the colour of a, of a bag that a man should wear. That, to me, is so primal. So he was fantastic. I'm glad that you love him too, because I'm a real Franz, a Swifty equivalent of Franz all now. Like, I'm a real a, a tie-hard Franz fan. Yeah. we'll see. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll be wallsies.
0: It was really interesting, actually. That's the, the very first episode, The Alpha Male. And I read loads about Andrew Tate. Like, it's it's something I know a lot about. It's the first time I have ever heard his voice because I have not sought out wanting to hear him. And this might make me sound really shallow, but I don't care because it's about Andrew Tate. He just sounds stupid to me. He just sounds like an idiot bro. I mean, you've done very well to not have him on your timeline,
1: but he does sound stupid. And I think it's a real technique he has where he just shouts. He speaks very fast and he shouts and it covers up that what he's saying is absolute dog shit. And it's a real like... He's like the Daily Mail, like some words He is like Daily Mail. Exactly. Work T-Rex and David Astor a documentary. Like that kind of stuff that was
0: Daily Mail publishing. Coming for Attenborough, that's just to no. know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think it's a technique I've seen you know, uh, Russell Brand do as well. So Russell Brand will shout and say really long words that he's got from thesaurus.com and it's masking (laughs) that what he's saying is absolute dog shit, which is why you should always read Andrew Tate in transcript form, not in video form, because you'll see it's just nonsense. It's absolute nonsense.
0: Yeah, it's just a word salad, like a shouty word salad. And yeah, I just always have my timeline on mute, so I've seen him talk, but I've never heard him talk. So, I mean, thanks. Uh, Not really. (laughs) Thanks, Lily. Um, Final question about the podcast. Can we have a positive about how Internet culture is affecting women in particular, please?
1: Yes. I mean, I think that really comes across in episode five, which is about neurodiversity. Internet culture for women is picking up where society is failing us. Women online are creating communities that serve the needs of women that should be served by, you know, medical care, for example, or social work or the government, for example, childcare things like that. Throughout history, women have done that in their communities. They have set up things that serve other women when the system they live in is failing them. And the ADHD and autism episode is amazing for that because it looks at how black women in particular are not being diagnosed when they should be because what they're you know we call it the Bart Simpson thing so ADHD is a white boy at school who's fidgety that's the kind of but really it's so much more complex than that and it can show up in your emotions and so many other things and we met an amazing woman called Vivian who set up an organization called ADHD Babes which is for black people women and non-binary people who have ADHD and they have completely transformed people's lives helping them get a diagnosis. You know, they hold workshops like how to manage cooking when it's too, um, in a sensory overload, how to manage your finances, all this kind of stuff. So, that's the kind of example I think on a bigger scale. It's basically we have just met women across the board who are picking up where society has left off. So, and they're doing it online because obviously they can reach more people. And in episode six, there are some real positives about astrology and how the spiritual world can, um, help women when they're not being supported as a community for women. And then also in episode three mm. with Ayadeli, this whole podcast where I would describe it is like, look at this awful bin fire, but look at these amazing women who are trying to put the fire out. That's how I describe the whole series. And Ayadeli is a <laughs> perfect example of that in the AI episode because he's going, Mark Zuckerberg, et cetera, keep creating these data biases in their AI and I'm having to sweep up after it like a janitor. And so there are real pros and cons to that because we're so lucky to have these women who are fixing things. But wouldn't it be great if they could spend their energy on creating, not fixing, not following yeah, up behind yeah. with a dust pad and brush. I think really it's it's made my whole attitude to the internet so much more nuanced and has made it there's just been some real positives and signs of hope because I guess the hope is that the government and policymakers will see the groups growing online and implement policy based on that. So you hope that, for example, Vivian at ADHD UBAs would be able to show how black women are not being served in medical services with ADHD and that will then influence policy making. So I think it is happening, you know, I think people are starting to implement Hopefully, more support for women going through the menopause and with polycystic ovaries and endometriosis. Yeah. and that's another one of those things where it takes on average eight years in this country to be diagnosed, even though it's one in ten people who have Pcos or endo. and that's something that has really grown because of people talking about it online and it's getting attention. So it's day by day tipping away activism is what internet culture is, and I'm just really glad that I can shout about these amazing women online who are doing this. So please listen and shout about them
0: too. Without blowing smoke up your arse I think you are a positive like that kind of example of a positive on the internet that, that this phenomenon where women and girls can and do face incredible vitriol and you're this shining light making us all feel a little bit less alone in it all. So thanks.
1: Please continue to smoke my arse I love it. That was really, <laughs> really, really. I, I'm very glad that you think that. I find self-promotion quite icky and quite hard, but I haven't found it hard to do it with this podcast series because it's a team effort because I'm joined by so many women and people who I want people to hear about their work. So like with the AI episode, I'm desperate for people to read Clementine Colette's UNESCO report about AI gender bias. So it's like not hard for me to be like, listen to this amazing thing because it's not just me. But I appreciate that anyway. Thank you.
0: Well, next time you are doing self promotion that isn't about your team effort, that is about your solo work, and you get that feeling, I want you to think about how you would talk to your auntie at a funeral about masturbating furiously and channel that. So true. You're so right. You're so right.
1: Yeah, I got to speak about it with the confidence of masturbation, which I cannot wait to get that text to my family WhatsApp group when uh, episode four comes out. <laughs> my poor. My poor dad on his commute. But also, like, you know what he needs to learn? He's a man. He's actively participating
0: in the orgasm gap. I mean, I would hope not,
1: but I'm not going to think about my parents having sex anymore. Let's change it. Yeah, just...
0: let's move on. <laughs> no worries if not is from Curly Media and available from all good podcast apps. Lily, where can people follow what you're up to on the socials, on the internet?
1: So I am vulgar drawings on everything on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, vulgardrawings.com is my website. Mostly I post cartoons on Instagram, but I'm always trying to, you know, spread that out a little bit. I also have a book called Kyle Theory um, that you can find anywhere. Waterstones, Amazon, whatever. Even W.H. Smith, I think. And actually Urban Outfits were selling it for a while, which I liked. And they had at the bottom, if you like this, you might also like Tupac's book, which oh. is hilarious Wowzers. and a huge compliment.
0: That is, that is a weird <laughs> Venn diagram. I'm just holding up two know, separate right? circles here.
1: Okay. I know. So yeah, so that's where you can find me. And No worries if not, it's released weekly every Tuesday. So please do all the things like subscribe, share, play it out loud on the tube, tell strangers, all that. I love it. I love it. My mum gets everyone to listen to it and follow me. It's so sweet. She's my biggest cheerleader, but she was was away for work and she came back and I woke up and I had these Instagram DMs from two people saying, Hey, we met your mum in the queue at the airport last night. We love your cartoons. She told us all about you. Let's be friends. Like, (laughs) I love it. But she's getting everyone to do it. So please, you know, join her. Be a cheerleader.
0: Lily, it's been a total delight. Thank you so much. I'm super chuffed to have had you on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I've had such a great time.
0: Standard Issue. For all
1: women.